remained focused on serving God regardless of what was coming at him. You know, I think most of us would have surrendered much earlier as we look at the story of Job and we look at where, where he was, how he hung in there and he, hung, and he kept having things come at him over and over and his friends were saying, surrender. His wife was saying, surrender. Everybody was saying, it's not, it's not for you to keep being so faithful to God. He's not being great toward you. Surely you have committed sin. Surely you've got a problem. When I look at Solomon, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17, says, Therefore I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, and all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Basically, the bottom line is that life isn't about you or me. Solomon got frustrated. He said, I hate living because I have no control. Things aren't going the way I want them to go. Job in 5.7 says, man is born to trouble. Man is born to trouble. So both of these two are saying, and these are men truly seeking to try to understand their relationship to God, and both of them are confused. When I went to seminary, I had a, we had what we call peer groups. Peer groups are small groups of five or six people that are they're also in your class, that are all in the same doctoral program. We get together. We would, we would get together about once a month and share some of our issues, some of our struggles, where things were, and where we saw God in our lives. Now, I want to challenge you today. You all need to be asking each other from time to time, where's God in your life? You can be a blessing to somebody else. So just encourage them and say, you know, talk to me about God and how He's working with you. You know, the answer may be, oh, I don't know. I'm really struggling. But according to the Scripture, those trials are where our maturity comes from. Nothing wrong with having trials. Nothing wrong with having struggles. But we do need to remember that ultimately our maturity comes through that experience. Our faith grows through that experience. Rufus Adetona was from Nigeria. Rufus had left home to come to the United or go to the United States in order to study for three years on a doctoral in a doctoral program with the idea of returning to his own country and he, where he would be serving as a, an administrator for uh, the convention in which he uh, worked within the Baptist there. Uh, Rufus was uh, in his mid-40s when he went to the United States. His wife and um, uh, him, they had discussed um, the issue of leaving for three years. They had... My goodness, eight children? The wife and the kids didn't come, I assure you. But he came on his own to this side of the world to study. Three years later, he graduated. And a doctoral program to graduate in three years is doing pretty well. That means you're actually on time, which I know virtually nobody that ever finishes on time in most doctoral programs. I certainly didn't. And at the end of three years, he packed up and went back home. Everybody was very happy for him. But when he completed his degree and went back home, 
he was very happy to be with family, and we would get these uh, letters talking about how things had been going. But three months later, he went to a bus stop, sat down, and had a heart attack and died. And many of us were asking the question, many of us on this side of the world, was it worth it? The final three years of his life, he was not at home with his family. We've often wondered what went through his wife's mind. Was she asking, why God? Why us? Why would we have to have gone through what all we did for the last three years where father was away from the children only to have him come home and die? Not all the answers were, were easily found. Was that degree really that important? Was it that valuable? Trials come to all of us. Another guy, the same group of five, Lee Weems. Lee was one of the sharpest Christian education specialists that I know of. Lee um, graduated and moved to a different state and became a state worker and then worked in a church. Um, about... Two years later, his son, who at the time was in his younger 20s, committed suicide. And it wasn't a pretty suicide. There's no such thing as a pretty one, but this one was exceptionally unattractive. Very, very difficult. Again, the question, did we do something wrong? Why is this happening now? What is, where is God in all of this? These questions are legitimate. They're perfectly understandable. They're called trials. Trials and troubles. Struggles. But the Scripture says trials, struggles are part of life. It is life. James chapter 1, verse 1, we see that James calls himself a servant. So from the very beginning, if we're going to look at James, we have to realize his perspective on life. He did not see himself as the center of life. He is only here as a servant. Brothers and sisters, what I want to say to you and to me, everything is our perspective. Everything is our perspective. When we see ourselves as the center of why God, why God, why God, and somehow I think that I'm that important, we've got a problem. Jesus didn't even spend time that way. Jesus modeled something quite different than that. He was the servant. He focused on being the servant. James said, I am but a servant, and I am happy to be that. And then in verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, for whenever you face trials of many kinds, dot, dot, dot. Consider it pure joy. So the first thing we see as we look in, these, in this particular scripture is the emphasis on joy. I, I think it's uh, important for us to understand that the joy is found in the struggle. It's found in the process, if you will. Sometimes we talk about the destination as the most important thing, and then it makes the process miserable for us. We keep asking, why this, why that, instead of saying, hmm, 
How am I going to use this to become a better person? How am I going to learn from this? How am I going to allow this to be influential? James understood his target audience. When he was writing, he knew that his responsibility was to work with the Jewish people. He wrote to help them understand their own hearts. He explained that their attitude toward life was important. The first thing we need to understand in understanding temptations and trials is that they only come to every one of us. Trials and temptations are not limited to you and you're going to be, all, you're going to be okay. You're not going to have a problem. You're going to have many problems. It's something everybody in the room. We've already said that. Those who in this room don't have trials and trouble, raise your hand, and I saw no hands. We're all alike. We're in the same boat. These may not be the same for all of us, but even Solomon admitted his frustration with life, and he had, materially speaking, all that a man could possibly dream of. Your problems may be financial, could be health, could be family relationships, alcohol, attitudinal, interpersonal, work-related, or whatever. But we all have problems. A number of years ago, I had a lady from uh, California come to China to work. She was, at the time that she came, in her 40s. When she was in her 20s, she had immigrated from Taiwan to the USA. Prior to that, she had been born in China. She was born in China, grew up in Taiwan, then immigrated to the United States. She had been wanting to come as a missionary and serve for years and years to get people who could speak Mandarin, who were native speakers and that kind of thing, to work as a missionary. Oh, it's always great. It's wonderful because you can put them to work immediately. Now, they don't always culturally understand fully the environment in which they're working because Taiwan's different than the mainland and places in the mainland are, are all different. But great catch to get her to come. But there was a challenge. There was a trial. There was a temptation. There was a, an endurance issue for us to deal with. You see, when she came to apply, I, along with a couple of other people, became aware of her issue. Her issue was that when she had come to the United States in her 20s, she had come and been married. Well, there was a divorce after a couple of years. And for 20 years, there was no man in her life. She was busy about what she was doing. She had a very good job, a good education. But you know, the organization that I was working with, I went to them and I said, you know, she's wanting to come and serve, but uh, what, what, what kind of, how can we use her? What, how does this work? And they said, well, we can let her come and come on a two-year contract. And she'll have to re-up every two years with that particular contract. And I said, no, no. But I said, this may be one of the best catches I've had in a while. This worker, I can really put to work, working with doing training and doing things that a lot of these other perfectly good, nice, well-meaning people that come over here take years to get their language skills to that point. Yes, but she's got a divorce. And I said, yes, she's got a divorce. But she was not even a Christian when she got a divorce. Yes, but she's got a divorce. And I said, hello? Apparently we're not... So you're saying that we're going to expect that a Christian's 
value system will be placed on a non-Christian for their lifestyle. They didn't say anything. I said, that's exactly what you're doing. You're demanding that a person, even before they knew Jesus, had to have been living like a Christian and understand Christian values and therefore you're going to judge them based on that. Well, for years, because she served about 10 years, every two years, I would go through the same argument with the IMB. I would go back to them and I'd explain, I'm sorry guys, it makes no sense, it's irresponsible, it is not a healthy way to deal with this. You should change this silly rule. And for each time I did it, I got nowhere. I promise you, I had more frustration than she ever did. Because I felt like there's a right and a wrong in this issue. And I was willing to keep fighting the fight. And every time I would get right back into it. Is life fair? Is life always smooth? Is life always good? Are there times when trials and tribulation, and unfairness occur in our lives? The answer is yes. We have those things come. The question is, do we still find joy as we realize that even through that struggling, somehow God is trying to mature us? God's developing our faith. He's carrying us beyond. She was doing okay after about the third time. I wasn't. So one thing we need to realize, trials and and struggles and these things come to everybody. Number two, temptations and trials do have a purpose. And I've just described, the joy is the purpose. God is trying to say to us, learn from the middle of all this. In the middle of the struggles, Still, I want to teach you patience. I want to teach you endurance. And I want to teach you maturity. (coughs) The Scripture, uh, if you look at it, it gets a little confusing because in some Scriptures you find the word that from all of this, you're developing in chapter in verse 2 and verse 3, you're developing patience. Some will say you're developing perseverance. But if you actually look at the original words, the emphasis is perseverance and endurance. It's saying that sometimes difficult trials will come and the goal is to help us learn how to endure. That indeed, what we think life should be, smooth and comfortable, and it's not going to be easy, it's not going to be smooth, but we do need to learn to bite the bullet. In other words, you put the stick between your teeth and you bite down hard and you keep going. You endure. And through that endurance, we learn what it is to grow into maturity. Because life will never be in control of you or me. We have to learn to accept the timing of God and His values, and even as He gives us a joyful life. A Christian's character is not something that's developed for right morals and high integrity and quality decision-making in a day. It takes time. Sorry, it's just a fact. Everybody wants a quick fix. We all want to study fast, learn it, and say, now I'm there. It's not going to happen. 
when I, uh, for, for me, it's only been the testimony of Chinese Christians in China that have stretched me to appreciate this. Because I've seen so many who have been through so many trials and so many difficulties that have made me realize that I am but still an immature Christian in my own walk. Being a servant isn't ever going to be easy. But we can find joy if we can find that, that experience in our lives. So the first thing we need to realize as we understand trials is that trials will come to everyone and they have purpose and value. Another thing that we need to look at as we look at verses 2 through 11, there was a song many, many years ago by a guy named Tony Bennett. Now this is only for the oldies but goodies in the room. The rest of you have no clue who I'm talking about and that's perfectly good. This guy that sang many, many, many moons ago, yes, he was alive many moons ago, he had a song, but in the words of the song, it said, is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's take out the booze and have a ball, if that's all there is. You know, for you and for me, the challenge that we have to ask ourselves is, do we see life as something that has only okay experiences for us? Or is it something that we can, can truly say we're not going to allow pessimism and disappointment to control us or not? James gives his instructions on this. He is not a pessimist. He was, would not follow what, what Tony Bennett would have said at all. What he's saying related to trials and temptations is, that we must live with joy in verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. We, joy does not mean be happy. It means be joyful. The word joy is probably comes alive more uh, when I read the book by C.S. Lewis called Surprised by Joy. C.S. Lewis wrote Surprised by Joy as a testimony of his relationship with God. And, and in an interesting scripture, he, or in an interesting writer within, he quoted and said, at a certain point, having gone to study and to basically try to prove that God did not exist, C.S. Lewis came in with the final conclusion where he got in a quiet spot and he said, I gave in and I admitted that God was God and I knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. He found joy in the midst of trial, study, struggle, and lostness. He had sought to disprove God only to be placed in the humanly embarrassing position of meeting God, the one he was seeking to disprove. Joy was awaiting for him. Like the vast majority of us who have risked calling ourselves Christians, the fragile act of self-confession before the Creator is a humiliating act of dependency. It's difficult for us to admit we are weak. We see ourselves as strong. We are taught to be strong. Yet in that moment, there is a joy that is established as we grasp that God actually loves us. It is a trial. We are tried and found wanting, but Jesus is there to hold our hand. Joy. How do we respond toward trials? Living optimistically, verses 3 to 5. It's a holistic perspective that James gives us. Temptations, trials, troubles. 
or a positive sign, testing our depth of commitment and our faith. Maturity comes through this experience. I had a friend named Lord Jikang in Hong Kong. Jikang has been working as a minister for many years. One of my students, Jikang, at the age of 32, discovered that his wife was very, very ill. And he and his wife were travelers. They loved to get on a plane and go anywhere. And they were constantly traveling. And suddenly, he found out that his wife could no longer travel, or she could travel on a limited level at that point. By the time she was 38, she was dead. Now, for those of you in this room who are younger than that, 38 still sounds like an old person. But for some of us in here, we know 38 is not that old. And when when she died at 38, many of the other ministers in Hong Kong were asking questions. Why? Why him? He's a full-time servant. He was asking himself, God, why me? Why my wife? Why has she had to suffer for this six years? Why have I had to divide my ministry between helping her at home and being able to do on-hand ministry within our churches? A lot of whys were going on. And yet, the thing that he continued to struggle with was the fact that he knew that God was still in charge. He was still optimistic. And he was trying to be so in order to be able to encourage others, even within his church. Another thing, though, in teaching us what we should be doing when we face trials is to live with focus in verses 6 to 8. To live with focus. The danger of being double-minded is described here. You know, we can compromise all we want with different issues that come our way. And we can say, well, you could do this, or you could do that, or you could do this. You can discuss things until they're absolutely a waste of time. Double-minded, it's saying, don't be confused. Get your focus. Ask God to give you your direction, your vision, and take action in that way. A number of years ago, there were 46 house church leaders that were taken by the Eastern Lightning Cult in China out of the city of Wuhan. These guys were some of the most influential house church leaders that I've known. They were working with an organization that had six million in one group and another group from three million. So they represented huge house church networks. They were taken away with the goal of trying to somehow brainwash them into believing that this Eastern Lightning cult and the Jesus that they had come to China, being a female who had come into China, was uh, actually the true Jesus they should be following today. They were with this cult group for a number of days. But I was talking with one of the ones that was with this group, and they said, for us, everything about what we were doing was because God somehow wanted to test us. He wanted to allow us to find the joy of following Him And we were single-mindedly focused on Christ. They did not allow their own comforts, their own desires, their own ideas, their own thoughts to even waver in any way their faith that God was in charge of all they were doing. The fourth thing 
that we must think about when trials come our way. We have to live humbly. Verses 9 to 11 challenges us. says that our success is nothing. We often look at things from the perspective of how we are successful. But the Scripture, if we look at this, I kept looking at this and thinking about the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 where uh, as, as the description comes from James because James gives a reminder that wealth is not the pursuit that we find value in. That the definition of success by man's value is not why we're here. True success is finding the joy of having a mature walk with our Lord. So when we look and we think about trials and tribulations, this is the generic that gets us here to say trials and tribulations must bring maturity. And within that word maturity is the word endurance. You're not going to always enjoy the walk. It's not going to always be smooth. It's not going to always fall together well for you. But as we endure to the final outcome, we find the reward, which is found in verse 12. Praise for the one experiencing trial of the stamp of approval. Endureth temptation. Stand through the test. The crown of life. Jesus spoke of the crown and it is not just an unclear reference to an unclear future. Jesus constantly spoke of the ultimate prize as the new quality of life. Life in the, in the highest. He said, I came that you might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance and to the fullest. If we endure, we will have joy, we will have faith, we'll have maturity, we'll have walk, but it's not going to always be easy. Testing is not something for us to fear. We have to recognize God only tests those and only allows that kind of testing. I should say He allows the testing. As He allows the testing to occur, He knows we can make it. According to the Scripture, He does not tempt us. He does not tempt us. But testing that helps us to mature, He will allow. Joy in the fact that you have been chosen to be tested because God knows you can make it. God knows you can make it. But do you know it? Paul, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. James in 1, 2 says, Joy comes in trials and challenges. Today I want to challenge you to look around you at other brothers and sisters. To understand that these people sitting on your left and on your right are people with trials, with struggles, with trouble, just like you. There's maybe, there, their issues may be larger, may be smaller, but they also have to work through their daily walk with Christ through these experiences. And we need to be encouraging of each other, supportive of each other, that we might all have joy and be blessed of God. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this day giving you praise for the trials, the struggles, the lack of 
smoothness that we find in the world in which we live. Not because we find them particularly enjoyable, but because we know you are using these things to refine us, to help us be more useful as your tools. Father, we would ask that we would find joy not in the things of this world, not in just being encouraged by things that that everybody on the street can be encouraged by, that we would find our joy in being encouraged by you. As you teach us endurance, you give us strength, and we are your special tools as we even walk in the world and try to share your love with others. Father, we praise your name that you've given us a church to serve in. We pray that you would give us clarity for where we may serve best. In Jesus' name.